I would encourage you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, this passage that Pastor Keith read a few moments ago, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. We're talking today about compassion. We're looking at, in these Sundays of November, at developing a worldview, a Christian worldview. Last week, we talked about the realm of the state and, in particular, politics. Today, we're dealing with compassion. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about missions. And the Sunday after that, looking at the issue of poverty and our Christian response to uh, the crying need of poverty and in our world. Today, we're talking about compassion, and I want to use uh, this portion of this very familiar text of Matthew's Gospel to help us uh, bring a focus to our thoughts this morning. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, we read that Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, this is a very familiar text to most of us who've been in the church for any length of time. You may know that this particular passage comes at a very strategic point in Matthew's Gospel. Already, Jesus has shared his great sermon in the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7, where he lays out the principles of this heavenly kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapters 8 and 9, Uh, Jesus begins to display His divine power. And we see the record there in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus cleanses a leper, where He heals the centurion's son, where He heals Peter's mother-in-law, where He speaks to the angry waves and calms the seas, where He casts demons into the swine, where He heals a paralytic and raises the dead and gives sight to the blind and speech to a man who was mute. And then here, there's a bit of a turning point at verse 35 through 38. If you look on into chapter 10, you'll discover that after this, Jesus sends out His disciples uh, and sends them out uh, into the world to communicate the principles of this kingdom. But in this moment, when all the crowds are surrounding Jesus, everywhere He went, He was surrounded by massive crowds. And he healed people, and the people continued to flock to him to to find their need met. Jesus looked on these crowds, verse 36 says, and he was struck with compassion. He was struck with compassion. That word literally means to suffer with. The Greek word in the original New Testament text is the Greek word splankna which refers to our guts or our entrails. Uh, When you have compassion, you feel it not just on the surface, but when you have compassion, you feel it in the deepest part of you. It's not just a surfacey emotion, but compassion is something that goes to the very core of our being. So that when Scripture says that Jesus was struck or moved with compassion, this word is saying that 
that the pain of these harassed crowds had entered into Jesus' heart and He felt their pain. He knew their longings. And in a very real way, He entered into their suffering and made it His own. I would submit to you this morning that compassion, the compassion that we see in Jesus, is the kind of compassion that you and I, as followers of Christ, should bring and incorporate into our own lives. Whereas compassion was a lifestyle for Jesus, so it should be for us who are Christ followers. We should feel that same depth of emotion when we see the hurting, the, the pain of the world that's around us. I like what Henry Nouwen uh, says about Jesus' compassion in his book entitled Compassion. Nouwen says, When Jesus was moved to compassion, the source of all life trembled, the ground of all love burst open, and the abyss of God's immense, inexhaustible, and unfathomable tenderness revealed itself. Jesus felt compassion on the harassed crowd. And you see this as being part of the warp and woof of His life. All throughout the Gospels you see this. In Matthew 14, when Jesus saw the blind and the paralyzed and the deaf that were being brought to Him from all directions, Scripture says that Jesus had compassion on them. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 2, when He noticed that the thousands who were following Him and listening to His preaching were tired and hungry, He decided that they needed something to eat. And so Mark chapter 8 and verse 2 says that Jesus was moved with compassion and He fed the crowds. In Matthew 9 verse 27, it tells us that the blind man caused Jesus to be moved with compassion. That the leper who fell at His knees caused Jesus to be moved with compassion. That the widow of Nain who was bearing her only son caused Jesus to be moved with compassion. And it was a lifestyle issue. Jesus. And so it should be for us. We should feel compassion. But I would submit to you this morning that if you feel compassion and you do nothing about it, it isn't compassion. It's just a feeling. Jesus modeled a brand of compassion that was characterized by action. Every time He was moved with compassion, He was moved to act and to change the situation. He raised the widow's son. He healed the leper. He opened the eyes of the blind. He fed the hungry crowd. And I believe that that same kind of compassion that Jesus felt that caused Him to to act is a compassion that should be born in our hearts and should cause us to act as well. I believe that the church in our age, has abdicated far too much of our compassionate ministries to the government. And that we have allowed government to take our responsibility to minister the love and compassion of Christ to the world that surrounds us. This was not the case in the early church. Those who had walked with Jesus knew how He had lived a life of compassion. The early church stood as a witness in the early centuries of time, to loving one's neighbor and reaching out with the compassion 
of Christ. If you read the annals of history, you will discover that it was the Christians who took in the dying and nursed the sick and helped those who were ravaged by the plagues that plagued the Roman Empire. In fact, Dionysius, in the year 260 A.D., when a plague of illness hit Rome and was killing people by the thousands, historians tell us that in one day, 5,000 people died from the plague. Dionysius wrote, It is the Christians who have shown unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Many of them nurse and cure others, transferring their death to themselves and dying in their stead. Dionysius says, the best of ours, the best of our Christians, were, had lost their lives in this manner, in this manner of offering compassion to the world. It was the early Christians who opened their table to the slaves and the poor. It was the early Christians who took care of widows and orphans and those who were oppressed. It was the Christians who gave women dignity and a much higher rank than pagan culture had ever done. Tertullian, one of the earliest writers after Christ, described the early church this way. He said, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Oh, look, they say, look how they love one another. But I wonder what the world thinks about the church today. If we were to go out on the street and do one of those on-the-street interviews with people and say, so what do you think about the church today? What do you think about Christian people? What kind of responses do you suppose we would hear in those on-the-street interviews? Bunch of hypocrites. Don't want to have anything to do with them. Double-minded. They talk a lot, but they don't do anything. Small-minded, bigots, and prejudice. I wonder what they would say. Is it not a shame, my friends, that the compassion of Jesus has not moved us in a way? We've experienced His love and His mercy. Why has it not moved us to get out of our comfort zones and begin to offer this same love to those who are all around us? There's a crying need in this world. Let's get out of our holy huddles and begin to do something about the need that's out there. What if people who came here to First Alliance or saw us in the community, in our workplaces, would say, look how much compassion they have for people who are in need. What if the Christian church, what if this church, were so in touch with the needs of people, so aware of the needs in and around our communities and in the world, so dedicated to loving God and loving other people and serving the world, that when you ask someone on the street what the church was all about, what word came to their mind about Christian people, that the immediate response would be, there are people of compassion. But such is not the case today. What has kept us from ministering the compassion of Christ in and through our churches? I think there are a couple of things. The first is this that I believe that the church has been guilty 
of replacing acts of love and compassion with a lot of theological talk and abstractions. We spend a lot of time debating how many angels can dance on the head of a pin when really what we need to be doing is getting out of our pew and offering Christ to our community. You see, God has never been interested in pious irrelevancies or theological abstractions. If those things bore you, well, you're in good company. They bore God too. The very fact that God came down here to earth and spent 33 years of His life in flesh and blood to serve us and to save us demonstrates God's love in action, meeting us right where we are. And that's what we as Christ followers need to be doing. Instead of saying to people, y'all come to us. We as the church need to get out of this fortress and we need to go to them. And we need to say, let's show you the love of Christ. The second reason I think that, that so many of us have abdicated our responsibility of compassionate ministry is that we're just overwhelmed by the immense need that surrounds us. I think the Internet and, and television and, and contemporary media has led to a kind of paralysis in the church because we're so much more aware of the crying need that exists out there in the world. There's so much awful information and I don't know about you, but I tend to filter out some of that. I get numbed by all of that information of what's going on in our world. I might get mildly concerned about issues, but that experience somehow stays a distant experience for me. In this day when communication is intense and constant, we know a lot. We see so much. But at the same time, we are moved so little. I'm acutely aware of a part of the world that is in vast need. One of our children, Justin, is serving the Lord in the Dominican Republic this year. He is teaching and working as a missionary in the Dominican. You may know that the last two years he spent in Haiti, a country that is ravaged by poverty and hunger and political corruption and a lack of education. The situation in Haiti has become so intense and terrible. You may have read or heard the story of just in the past couple of days about the school building outside of Port-au-Prince collapsing and now the death toll is exceeding a hundred there. Justin just returned from a week in Haiti visiting his friends there and he reported to us when we last talked to him on the telephone that the situation in Haiti is absolutely dire. Hunger is rampant. Most Haitians eat only one meal every three or four days. They are so hungry that they've introduced a new word in their language that is related to the English word Clorox to describe the burning sensation that they feel in the pit of their stomach because of their hunger. Justin said that when he visited with his friends in Cape Haitian that he found most of them extremely thin and emaciated. They cannot afford to even buy rice. The cost of rice is, 
because of the global economy and the slump that the global economy is in, the cost of rice has been raised from $40 a bag to now exceeding $500 a bag. And the average Haitian cannot even afford enough rice to feed themselves and their family. So in order to feed their families, what the Haitians have done, is they've resorted to taking dirt and mixing it with vegetable oil and salt. They call them mud cakes. And they bake them in the hot Haitian sun. And they sell them. And even the cost of mud cakes has gone up so high that many Haitians can't even afford to buy the mud cakes. And so they go hungry. And I'm moved by that, but I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to attack a problem that vast, that complex, and that complicated. But you don't have to go to Haiti to find a world that is in need. You find a world that is in need across the street and in your neighborhood, in the center of our city where crime is rampant, and it seems like every day we find a new report about a shooting or a murder or about some child or some elderly person who's been attacked or murdered And we become numb to it. We feel sorry for a moment, but we don't do anything about it. We fail to act. And if compassion is to be a way of life for us who are Christ followers, as Christ meant it to be, then we need to take action, and we need to take action making that the rule and not the exception. So how do you make compassion a part of your life? What are some things that can guide us to offer compassionate service to those around us? I hope one of these thoughts will hit home for you. The first thought is this. The compassionate service makes no distinction between the large and the small. You know, it's interesting to me that God often sees the smaller tasks to be the most important. We've got a God who loves to grow mustard seeds. And I believe that you don't have to start out with some large overarching program. I believe that you can go and in a compassionate way, move to compassion. You can offer a cup of cold water to someone who is in need. Don't measure your compassionate service by its size. But get out there and make a dent. Light a candle and dispel the darkness. Secondly, compassionate service is free from the need to calculate results. Listen, results are great, but don't be disappointed if you don't see results immediately, if you don't see a change in the situation right away, the change that you were hoping for. Maybe a change in someone's life, someone's response to what you did. God's still at work. Offer compassionate service anyway. Trust Him and lean into that. Three, compassionate service creates community, both with those that we serve and those who serve alongside of us. I don't believe that there's anything that will bring a group of people any more closely together than serving together and offering compassion. I love what Epic Faith has just instituted. They had their first opportunity at offering the compassion of Jesus to a part of our community yesterday. And this is something that they're going to do on a repeated basis. They're calling it Second Saturdays. Yesterday was their first. 
What they did was they rented a bus and they invited the members of Epic Faith, our church plant that meets here on Sunday evenings at 6. They invited the members of Epic Faith to bring their children and, and their friends and come and move into a neighborhood in our community and just offer the love of Jesus and serve a particular neighborhood in our community. So Colby and Ben uh, got the bus. The bus was loaded yesterday morning. And they went up to a neighborhood off of Zook Road. They had asked permission, first of all, to do this. And apparently there were a ton of leaves there that needed to be raked. And so children, youth, and adults got off the bus up there on Zook Road yesterday. And with their rakes in hand and their garbage bags, they bagged leaves for three hours. Eighty bags of leaves. Eighty bags of leaves. And talking to one of the members who was there yesterday, said the people were amazed that people would come and do this as an act of service. What a wonderful witness and testimony. And all the time while they were doing this, they were building a camaraderie and a fellowship with one another. Friends, I don't think we should let our daughter church outdo us. I think that we need to get on the stick. I think that we need to get busy and get out of our pews and come up with some creative ways in which we can can get out of the fortress of these four walls and we can begin to offer the love of Jesus to those in our community. And I invite your involvement. Don't wait for somebody else to organize it. You organize it. Get some people together and have fun while you're doing it. That's what compassionate service does. It creates community. Compassionate service also ministers on the basis of need. Compassionate service, let me tell you friends, is not dependent on your feelings or your mood, or your whim. Sometimes you are called upon to offer compassion when you least feel like doing it. Believe me, I know. For many years, I don't do it right now, but for many years, I, at the invitation of some of the Gideons in our church, I used to participate in a Sunday evening service, chapel service, at the Erie County Prison over on Ash Street. It's great, 25 35, sometimes 40 people would come, prison inmates for a chapel service. And I had the opportunity to lead the singing and share a message and share communion with the, the brothers that were there. I have to tell you that there were many Sunday evenings that I did not feel like going to the prison. It was the last place I wanted to be. I would have much rather have stayed home stretched out on the couch, and watched 60 Minutes. But I went and I spent 70 minutes at the chapel of the prison. And I want to tell you that every time, though I dreaded the going, I always came away with a blessing. And you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And even in those times when you don't feel like offering compassion, you reach out with the love of Jesus. Don't let feelings that ebb and flow determine your actions. Do the compassionate thing, whether you feel like it or not. And finally, compassionate service recognizes that ultimately it is Jesus that we're serving. For did not Jesus say, 
Whoever does it to the least of these does it to me. I believe that that turns everything on its head. When we serve, ultimately we're serving Christ. When we offer compassion to another, we are serving the Lord. And we often receive far more than we give. My problem with the church today is this. That in too many cases, we look more like the Rotary Club or the Lions Club or the Eagles Club or the Moose Club than we do the Church of Jesus Christ. We gather together in our holy huddles and within the walls of our fortresses. We hang out together and have dinners and bazaars and coffee clutches. But Jesus didn't die for dinners and bazaars. He died for lost mankind. And he offered his compassion to us. And as his followers, we should in turn offer compassion to others. That's why I'm so pumped about the things that I see beginning to percolate within our ministry. When I see the people lined up on Tuesdays and Thursdays at our food pantry over in the Barnabas house. The clientele is is going up at a rapid rate. You would imagine that in today's economy. And people's needs are being met. And and relationships are being built. That's why I get excited when I see a ministry like uh, the winter outreach program that we're having where we're bringing blankets and socks and and gloves and and children's coats for those who, who might need some winter warmth. Because when we do that, we're offering the compassion of Jesus. That's why I get excited by some of the things that our community impact team is, is designing and putting together, uh, like an HVAC ministry that is going to help people who, who have needs. That's why I get excited about our oil change ministry that is just reaching out in love to people who need a hand up. In my opinion, any spiritual journey that removes the Jesus follower from suffering and pain of others is fake and counterfeit. And we need to get out of these walls and we need to do something in the name of Christ to eliminate the need that's all around us. And all over our world, I see a quiet movement of the Spirit that's causing believers to reexamine the way they do church. And churches are throwing out the old measures of success. It's no longer about size or seeker sensitivity or church health or the number of small groups. It's about making a significant and sustainable difference in the lives of people all around us, in our communities and in our cities. And I believe that God is calling us, men and women of this church, who see the need of our world, He's calling us to break out of our selfishness, to get out of our recliners when it's necessary, and be willing to engage in a hurting world that is all around us with the hands and feet of compassion. I'm reminded of the story that comes out of the 19th century, the life of the founder of the Salvation Army, His name was William Booth. One day after returning from a long campaign in the south of England, William Booth passed over London Bridge. And he observed there as he was passing over London Bridge a number of homeless persons who were uh, sleeping out on the night under the bridge. 
He was so disturbed by that sight. The next morning when his son Bramwell came to, to greet his father, uh, Bramwell uh, was expecting to hear all these glorious reports about the success of his father's campaign in southern England. But instead, Bramwell was, was met with his father's anger. And Booth said to his son Bramwell, Bramwell, last night as I came into the city, I saw that there were men and women and children sleeping out under London Bridge. Did you know that this was happening? Bramwell kind of stammered and stuttered, and he said, Yes, I did, Father. Booth looked at his son in disbelief and said, You knew this was happening, and you didn't do anything about it? Bramwell, in trying to find all kinds of alibis and excuses for his, his lack of action, stuttered and stammered again. William Booth allegedly said to his son, Bramwell, don't give me your excuses. Go out there and do something. Just do something. Friends, I want to say to you this morning, because we have experienced the love and compassion of Jesus, we should be the first in the line to go out there and do something about what's going on in our world. I don't know where the Spirit will lead you. I don't know where this adventure will take you. I don't know what will be involved and what, what it will ask of you. I don't know what sacrifices that you will have to make to compassionately meet the needs of those that God places around you. But I beg you, in the name of Jesus Christ and our compassionate Lord, will you please... Please do something. Get out of your pews. Get out of your classes. Get out of your small groups. And go out there and in the name of our Lord, do something and be His hands and feet. Be moved with compassion and make a difference. And not only will you enjoy it, I promise you will, but you will find God, the name of God glorified. Do it for His glory. Do it for the love of your neighbor. Do it for the sake of His church. Be courageous and live out a life of compassion to the world that's around you. I urge you, just do something. Let's pray.